Welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio, researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson, and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is NWS 629 for release on Sunday, March 14th, 2021, and there's a time zone change tonight. For North American listeners, Sunday night, March 14th, going to summertime or daylight savings time. On Wavescan today, Moon Bounce Radio, part one. The radio scene on Germany's Rügen and our Philippine DX report. Well, these days we're familiar with the change of time zone that's observed before and after each winter in many different countries around our globe. In the summer of 1944, the Crosley medium wave and shortwave radio stations on and near Cincinnati in the United States in Ohio experienced an interesting dilemma. The studios for two medium wave stations, WLW and WSAI, and shortwave WLWO were all located in the same building in Cincinnati, Ohio, though each station operated under its own time zone. Station WLW, because of its wide area coverage, observed Eastern Standard Time along with the state of Ohio. Station WSAI, with its main coverage of the city of Cincinnati, observed Daylight Saving Time along with the city and shortwave WLWO observed international radio time, which was designated as GMT back then. Well, just a few weeks back on February 6th, golf lovers were remembering an important golf event that occurred, not here upon planet Earth, but rather up there on the moon. Just 50 years earlier, February 6th, 1971, Astronaut Alan Shepard hit a golf ball on the moon for the first time in the history of lunar exploration. Here's Ray Robinson with Moon Bounce Radio. Thanks, Jeff. With a touch of humor, we might say that golf is a foolish game. That is, you hit the ball and then you chase it yourself. However, if you play baseball, for example, then you hit the ball and send somebody else after it. <laughs> With the approval of the NASA administration, Alan Shepard took a modified golf club and two golf balls up to the moon for the Apollo 14 moon landing event in 1971. His spacesuit was too bulky to use two hands, so he swung the modified golf club with just his right hand. After two single-handed swings, which produced nothing more than two small divots of scattered moon dirt, he made contact on the third swing and sent the ball flying. He then hit the second ball also. Recent research regarding this first golfing attempt on the moon reveals that the first ball travelled just 24 yards and the second ball travelled just 40 yards. According to the American Weekly Business Journal with the title Broadcasting, the first occasion for a hole-in-one during a golf tournament that was broadcast on radio took place in Salt Lake City on August 11, 1946. 
The announcer who was covering the tournament on live radio was John Duffy. The radio station was medium wave KUTA with 5 kilowatts on 570 kilohertz. The green was number six at the golf club and the happy golfer was Chubb Utter. In 1934, a small news item about a coming attempt at bouncing a radio signal off the moon was published in local newspapers in England, and also in radio magazines further afield. This moon-bounce radio experiment was intended, the news item stated, to discover whether it was possible to relay radio signals from one part of planet Earth to another part of planet Earth via the moon. It was stated that this important experiment was under the direction of Professor E. V. Appleton of the University of London, and that a shortwave transmitter at Daventry would focus a signal up to the moon. In addition, Professor Appleton sought the cooperation of amateur radio personnel all around the Earth to monitor the downcoming signal reflected from the moon. However, that elaborate plan was never implemented. In fact, it was simply a cover-up ruse. The real Daventry event was staged eight months later on Tuesday, February 26th, 1935, when an RAF Hayford heavy bomber was flown in a predetermined flight pattern near the BBC shortwave station at Daventry. Mobile receiving equipment was installed in an ambulance that was modified for the occasion, and it was stationed in an isolated farming location some five miles from the BBC shortwave station at Daventry. At the time, the BBC operated two shortwave transmitters at 10 kilowatts each at Daventry, and the actual transmitter in use for this now historic experiment operated on 49.8 metres, 6025 kilohertz, under the call sign GSA with an open carrier. So secretive was this Daventry experiment that there were only three people on the ground who witnessed the event and the pilot in the plane above was unaware of the purpose for his strange flight pattern that day until many years later. Yes, the metal aeroplane did reflect the radio signal back to a radio receiver, and this was indeed the very first radar experiment in England. In the meantime, Germany, among several other countries, was also experimenting in the development of what is now known as radar – that is, the use of reflected radio signals to indicate the position of distant planes and ships. The German test equipment was installed at Bakenberg on the island of Rügen, which is located in the Baltic Sea just off the extreme northeast coast of continental Germany. The German system, which was identified as Wurzmann, used a 120 kilowatt Telefunken transmitter that radiated very brief pulse signals on a wavelength of 53 centimetres, 564 MHz. This equipment was set up on the island of Rügen towards the end of the year 1943, and it was instrumental in successfully detecting a distant flight of airplanes and distant ships at sea. However, in addition to the distant aircraft and ships, the Wurzmann equipment also detected another distant reflected signal, which, upon further investigation, turned out to be the rising moon. There was a difference, though. The reflected radio signal from the moon returned to the Earth at 30 Hz above the frequency of the transmitted signal from Earth, and this was due to the Doppler effect caused by the speed of the moon moving through space. Well, that was the story of the first radio signal reflected back to the Earth from the Moon. We'll have more about this interesting topic in a future edition. But back to Rugen Island. 
As just mentioned, the first radio signal reflected from the moon back to Earth was transmitted from the special Wurzman equipment that was set up on the island of Rügen at the end of the year 1943. Rügen Island, just off the northeast coast of Germany, was noted also for another significant era of radio information. Rügen Island in the Baltic Sea is Germany's largest island, and it's an irregularly shaped island some 30 miles by 25 miles. It's a popular holiday island, famous for its white cliffs, somewhat similar to the white cliffs of Dover in England. Ancient settlements of Germanic peoples on Rügen date back to the earliest years of European history, and over the centuries, this island has been under the influence of several nearby countries, including Denmark and Sweden, as well as Slavic and German kingdoms. It was also an integral part of East Germany before reunification in 1990. The first maritime wireless station in the southern reaches of the Baltic Sea was installed near the resort city of Swinemunde, which today lies at the border between mainland Germany and Poland. This Morse code wireless station was taken into service on September 11, 1911, and it operated under the international German call sign DAS. Almost 20 years later, in 1930, a new maritime radio station for the southern areas of the Baltic Sea was constructed on the island of Rügen, some 50 miles northeast of the original DAS station at Swinemunde. The transmitter building was constructed a little south of Loam, on eastern Jasmine Peninsula, with the tower on the hill known as Tufelsberg. The call sign for the then-defunct Swinemunde station, DAS, was transferred to the new station on Rügen. The receiver station was installed near Gloa, on the same Jasmund Peninsula. Two days before the arrival of the Russian army at the end of World War II in 1945, Rügen radio was deliberately destroyed with explosives. However, another Rügen radio was rebuilt at the same site under the East German administration and it was given a new call sign Y5M. After the reunification of Germany in 1990, the international call sign for Rügen radio was amended and Y5M became DHS, almost the same as the original DAS some three quarters of a century earlier. Rügen radio was closed in 1998 and the final mast at Loam was felled on April 4, 2018. The only medium-wave broadcasting station on Rügen Island was erected near the small city of Putbus on the southeast coast. The Putbus station was installed under the East German administration in 1960, and it radiated the programming of DDR Firenwelle with 4 kilowatts on 729 kHz, though the power level was subsequently increased to 10 kilowatts. The antenna mast stood 170 feet tall. After reunification, the Putbus station carried the programming of Deutschland Radio Kultur until it was closed in 2009. In order to save the tower from demolition, the station was then offered out to commercial operation. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. We continue today to talk about the recent HFCC A21 Shortwave Coordination Conference with Jerry Plummer of WWCR in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, uh, you, you mentioned my opening remarks. Uh, one of the things that I commented on was a report that is now out. Uh, actually, it's, it's not public yet, 
I guess it's still on the on the private area of the website. I think, right? It's the HSCC report on shortwave international broadcasting, 2020. Now the the background is that one of our members asked us to produce this document about the importance, continuing importance of shortwave for international broadcasting, uh, for uh, a station that was, uh, you know, what's happening right now is. Uh, You've seen in the last, uh, say, 10, 20 years or so, a lot of stations have been cutting back and cutting off shortwave broadcasts altogether. Right. right. They, they have to explain to their uh, their bosses, their their the politicians or the, the the big, you know, the people who control the money and everything else, why they need to continue broadcasting on shortwave. So they asked the HSCC to produce a document uh, in that regard, and it was a fairly big project. Um, uh, Sergio Salvatore from Vatican Radio and, and Horst Schultz, our, our vice chairman, who used to be with Deutsche Welle, produced uh, the draft of this document, and then all of us and the steering board members and so on uh, contributed uh, to it. it, it uh, there's a draft version out now, and pretty soon there will be a, a, a final version on the public area of the HSCC website, which is hscc.org. Uh, and it's um, a pretty interesting document, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, this is probably uh, edited version number 35 or something <laughs> because, as you say, Horst and uh, Sergio kind of put the bones of it together, and then people would add or, you know, uh, sort of a, a joint joint paper. Uh, and we also, at the plenary, you were asking, and I did too, uh, asked for all of the uh, – uh, members to please take a look at it and contribute any changes or additions they felt would be necessary. That's right. To get a, to get a global feel out of it. Yes. Uh, pretty interesting document, though. And, and, you know, it showed some things that uh, uh, I thought were sort of revealing about the world of shortwave. Yes, it's definitely. Not, it's not dead yet, you know, no. contrary to some popular belief. And I think one of the points that you've made over and over is that the entire world is not Internet connected yet, uh, and the entire world has no other medium besides shortwave that has no borders. Uh, the document starts out talking about uh, the, the, set, the various methods for, for broadcasting, which mm-hmm. include radio, TV, cable radio, and cable TV, direct broadcast satellites, and satellite radio, and then webcasting, uh, video or audio uh, streams, and then... It mentions that, of course, international broadcasting is is deliberately aimed at a foreign audience rather than a, a domestic audience. And, and yes. international broadcasters have these various options for reaching a, a foreign audience, uh, usually um, occasionally long wave or medium wave, but more usually short wave radio. And uh, in, in more recent years, uh, use of direct satellite broadcasting and, and the Internet the interesting thing, uh, Jerry, is it starts out talking about the hours per week of shortwave broadcast, and it analyzes yes. the period from the A10 season to the A20 season, so the beginning of 2010 to the beginning of 2020. Yeah. And it's uh, the number of hours uh, went down by about I think 40 percent, which is a, you know a fair amount, but. Here we have apparently 64,000 hours per week of shortwave broadcast. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. 
and even though that's 40% down from uh, A10, that's still quite a few hours. And, and so that's why it's necessary to uh, uh, coordinate frequency schedules so nobody's broadcasting on top of each other, you know. You've noticed that uh, uh, we both made, uh, made mention of the fact that even though it's reduced from A10, frequencies are still hard to find. That's right. Uh, particularly if you want a stretch of time available, you know. Uh, yeah, there's plenty of 15 to 30 minute stretches, but if you're looking for four, five, six hours, it's still very hard to find. And I'm looking at another graphic here, uh, at the difference between A10 and A20, so this 10 year period, and it shows that certain target areas, uh, the transmissions were up or down from uh, last time. Uh, most of them were down. Uh, but uh, then it goes into the – takes a couple of examples. They were two very good examples, I think, because the first one is the BBC. And you right. know as well as I do that they have cut back tremendously over the past 10 years. They've gone down 67% over that 10-year period, uh, and uh, particularly to certain target areas, uh, even to Africa and Asia. Uh, they've gone down quite a bit. And they, yes. don't, they don't do anything to North America or to uh, Australia and the Pacific, for example. Very little to Europe anymore. So there's an example of a station that's cut back tremendously. And then it gives an example of China Radio International. And right. that's quite a different story, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's very different. It's, it's literally the inverse of BBC. Their hours, uh, CRI's hours, have increased dramatically. Uh, and I, I think that uh, most anybody that listens to shortwave would probably attest to that. Yeah, and it's uh, interesting that uh, uh, it shows here another graphic that uh, uh, their transmissions, CRI's transmissions to Europe, Europe have increased over those 10 oh, years. Oh, yeah, uh, a dramatic uh, increase to Europe. And Whereas uh, the BBC has reduced almost totally to Europe. That's right, and and CRA has increased to Africa as well, and yes. to uh, and, and and very much, of course, to uh, Asia. They, you know, there's not too much difference in their transmissions to the Americas I see here, or to right. uh, Oceania, uh, Middle East. It looks like Middle East has gone up uh, as well. Yes, so, yes. And so some stations have gone up, some gone down, some have stayed about the same over that 10-year uh, period. There's still a lot of hours broadcast in total. That's right. Uh, shortwave. Um, and, and there's also, uh, I, I don't know how much we got into it in this particular one, may not be a lot of data, but there's also in the last 10 years been a pretty substantial growth in new private broadcasters. Uh -huh. uh, we had four new broadcasters join HFCC this time around. Oh, that's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. In, in uh, Europe, all, I think, right? And all, all from Europe, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, so, growth there. Um, another, another graphic here in this report um, shows the percentage of individuals using the Internet in uh, 2019. And it's, it's very variable, depending on the part of the world. 83% oh, yeah. in Europe and 77% in the Americas. Uh, even 72% in the Commonwealth of Independent States, 
Right. But if you look at uh, Africa, it's only 28 percent. Yeah, so, and I was surprised that Asia and the Pacific were under 50%. That's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the Arab states are around 50%. So that, that you look at it, though, it's only, it's only just a little bit over half of the world that is Internet access. That's right. Um, and, and then there's another one showing the uh, percentage of population not using the Internet. And you, you can see on this graphic, it's a map of the world, and they use different colors for different percentages of Internet penetration. And you oh, can yeah. see that Africa is just, you know, very, very little Internet. Yeah, um, uh, that's, that's a very good graphic because it shows you very clearly uh, that there's a good chunk of Asia that's the same way. That's right. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but there is a lot of Africa, and I guess that's one reason why... Um, uh, both of us have a lot of religious broadcasters, and I keep on hearing this ten, the expression, the 1040 window, you know? Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's Africa. That's that's exactly what this is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the situation isn't all that great in South America, you can see, or even yeah. Mexico. Uh, and and our, our friends in Greenland uh, don't have a lot of Internet access, apparently. Sure does. Jerry Plummer of WWCR in Tennessee was talking with us about the HFCC, A21 Shortwave Frequency Planning Conference. And there's a lot more about that to come on future wave scans. But right now, let's go to Henry Umatai in the Philippines with his DX report for March. Hello, everyone. Hello, dear shortwave listeners. Wherever you're welcome to the March 14th edition of the Philippine DX. This is report number 168. I'm Henry Umata in Bacolod City, Negros Occidental Central Philippines. Glad to be back and thank you for listening. I would like to thank our DXer friend for sending the reception report most recently, Mr. Olmar Quebec in Sweden, Mr. Konstantin Barsentkov in St. Petersburg, Russia. Mr. Richard Lemke in Alberta, Canada. Mr. Douglas Copeland in Canada. Mr. Francisco Coglatori in Catania City, Sicily. To all of you, thank you very much. Reception logs for February 2021. February 6, Radio Thailand World Service on 9940 in English from Odantani at 1416 SIO555. February 6, Voice of America on 15715 in English from Odantani at 1140 SIO343. February 7, Adventist World Radio on 11990 in English from Guam at 2200 SIO444. February 8, China Radio International on 7410 in Filipino from Chenua, Sijong Province at 1050 SIO555. February 14, China Radio International on 11955 in Indonesian Pram Kunming at 1345 SAO444. February 21, Adventist World Radio on 11955 in Indonesian Pram Guam at 2230 SAO343. February 23, KBS World Radio on 9570 in English Pram Kim J at 1343 SAO3. 3 February 23, Radio Pilipinas Overseas Service on 9740 in Filipino from Tinang at 0247 SIO333. February 25, BBC World Service on 9580 in English from Crunchy 
at 11:10 SAO 4:44 February 25 Voice of Vietnam at 12:020 in English from Suntai at 11:35 SAO 3:33 February 26 Transverse Radio in 11:965 in English from Aganya Guam at 11:40 SAO 5:55 February 26 Radio for Asia on 11.795 in Burmese at 12.40 SIO 4.44 and February 28 Voice of Korea on 6.150 in English from Kujang at 10.30 SIO 3.33 Send us your comments, suggestions, reception logs and informations to PilipinasDx at Chiaho.com That's P-I-L-I-P-I-N-A-S-D-X for PilipinasDx at Chiaho.com This has been Henry Umaday for Wavescan in Bacolod City, Negros Occidental Central, Philippines ay mabuhay at maraming salamat po. Thank you very much Henry. And now from the AWR Frequency Management Office in Germany, we have the new frequency schedule for AWR uh, Wavescan broadcasts beginning for the new season, the uh, A21 season, which starts on March 28th and goes until October 30th of this year. These are all on Sunday, of course, and you can hear Wavescan from Yerevan at 1600 UTC. This beam towards southern India on 9490 kHz. From Madagascar at the same time, 1600 UTC, beamed towards central India on 15605 kHz. From now in Germany at 1530 UTC, towards Nepal and Tibet on 15670 kHz. From KSDA in Guam, you can hear wave scan at 2200 UTC towards Western Indonesia on 12040 kHz. And from Trincomalee, Sri Lanka at 1530 UTC towards Central India on 11960 kHz. The new schedule for wave scan from AWR relays beginning on March 28th. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio, researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. We leave you with the music of Giacomo Meyerbeer, who lived from 1791 to 1864. This is his March from the Prophets. Next week on WaveScan, the early wireless scene in Brazil, Australian shortwave call sign VLU, and our Bangladesh DX report. We have several QSL cards available for Wayscan. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for the program to the AWR address in Thailand. Stay tuned for that. And also to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa or IRRS Italy or to the AWR relay stations that carry Wayscan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air here in the program. They will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The email address for AWR QSL cards is qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWR QSLs is Adventist World Radio. 
P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, that's P-R-A-K-A-N-O-N-G, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. Again, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. And the email address for other correspondence besides reception reports is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next time, good listening, everyone.